today's episode, we are on number five of What Does the Book of Mormon Teach? The message that we're going to be examining today that's clearly shown in the Book of Mormon is that there's a philosophy, there's a clear explanation that God has spoken to his children throughout time in different places, that he loves them all equally, both Jew and Gentile, and the house of Joseph, and the lost tribes, and every nation of the earth will be recording his words. And so we're going to examine today that message, that uh, way of thinking, that God is the same throughout time, and that his words will continue to come forth and bring light and truth about who he is. Enjoy. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. What do you got today, Corey? Hey, it's just good to be back with you, brother. Now looking forward to discussing more of what the Book of Mormon teaches with you today. Anything interesting happened to you this week? Oh, you know, it's been uh, <laughs> one of these things where, you know, as the scriptures say, all things work together for good. I uh, finally got restored gospel, kind of turned back around and running, and that's been a, a night and day effort. Won't go into the details of that, but hey, it's new and improved. If you haven't been there now, it's all great for mobile applications. It'll work better on your phone than before. And uh, lots of new content coming, including these topics that we are discussing, what the Book of Mormon teaches in a printed format that you can use and share and distribute and learn from and hopefully glorify our, our God with. Yeah, so I really enjoyed the last couple episodes where we we dove into the Word and looked at some of the things that the message, the actual message about having all sin removed and having all stain removed and the blood of Christ presenting you clean in the kingdom and that the kingdom of God and being saved means that you are in the kingdom of God and you can't be saved if you aren't in the kingdom of God. Uh, very plain. Uh, one of the messages of the Book of Mormon, Corey, I think re- probably if you've grown up in the restoration quote religion, um, it's not new thought to you that God speaks to people other than just a given group of people in a group, you know, in a given place at a given time in history but I think we've been open to the fact that Jesus visited many people other than just the Jews over in Jerusalem area and that we have writings that are yet to come forth that, that through time um, God has interacted with all mankind on the face of the entire globe and many people have recorded those interactions and, um, and we kind of grew up thinking maybe opposite of what uh, some Christians think in Christianity that the Bible is just this this gold book that fell from the sky and it's inerrant and you know it was straight from the 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 hand of God to men you know to pencil and that's not the story of the Bible at all. Although we don't discredit the Bible, there's it's full of truth, of course. But uh, what does the message of the Book of Mormon say? Well, the Book of Mormon says something uh, that says, hey, the Bible is true. It was God's inspired word to man and that he would not only speak to the nation of Judah, 
the Jews who are primarily responsible for the Bible. But he says he would speak to all nations. And he said those testimonies would all come back that he was God and he is God. And and so it's an interesting question now we have. If that's the true principle, then where do we find his word and what evidence is it that uh, he spoke to more than just one group of people? So at different times we've talked about um, some prophecies, uh, some scriptures that have been passed down in other books. We had the Ethiopian book that spoke, uh, had some language that was very similar to um, the Genesis contained in the inspired version and so forth. What do you got today? Well, it's interesting. Um, There's evidence that what the Book of Mormon says about the fact that uh, he would speak to other nations that exists. Uh, This premise of the Book of Mormon is that as, um, well, just to to say what the Bible is, you know, the the Bible started out with Moses's books, um, and then it was maintained by people who were basically Jewish through time that we associate with people living in Jerusalem. Um, But the Jews were one of the 12 tribes. Uh, What we believe the Book of Mormon was, was a collection of records about this same God and his wonderful workings. But it was maintained by a group of people who were descendants of Joseph, one of the other brothers. And so, um, you know, you you just stop and think, well, yeah, it makes sense. In, In fact, when you look at these brothers who were the sons of Jacob, his name became Israel. He had these 12 sons, and Judah and Joseph were two of them. And each of those 12 brothers uh, became the heads of nations. They became the nations of Israel. And what's interesting is that when Jacob is dying and blesses his children, he pronounces a much greater blessing upon Joseph than even on Judah and the other brothers. And so that has to make someone think historically, well, if God placed this great blessing on him, wouldn't he have spoken to him and his people too? I mean, it was like, this is for not just that person, but for their lineage forever. And and he asked this question, if you be intellectually honest about how God works, you know, when God blesses, isn't that to have knowledge of him? You know, it's not just to have, you know, a a nicer house or car, right? You know, it's not like the Jews... um, it, from the beginning were the were even the good people they were sometimes the rebellious ones it was judah's idea to kill uh plotting to kill joseph and then the other brother said no let's not kill him let's get rid of you know let's just dispose of him well the point is <clears throat> from the beginning god said i'm going to do great things with joseph i'm going to do great things for his people his dreams as Joseph was a little boy are telling because they got him in trouble. When he was a little boy, he said, hey, dad, I had this dream, you know, that uh, I had, <clears throat> you know, these these bundles of wheat and all the other bundles were my brothers and they bowed down to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, he slaps him on the head. Stop talking like that, you little <laughs> twerp, you know. Right. And, uh, and so it irritates the brothers to hear this stuff. But all that was telling not only of the life that would be Joseph's, that he would save his brothers physically, but that there's a spiritual aspect that Joseph would also save his family spiritually in a day to come. And that's what we believe is his testimony, Joseph. Well, the books are not in the Bible that we have, the canon, but no one disputes these books exist. Um, If you look online, there's the lost books of the Bible. You can just Google search it. And you'll find there were testimonies by the various brothers 
Uh, no one disputes these testimonies were legitimate. Well, you'll find someone dispute, but people will, you know, <laughs> anyone will have an argument about something. But nevertheless, these brothers all testified of Jesus eventually that they understood who the Savior was, and all these testimonies never made it into the canon of Scripture we have today. And Joseph had one too. But um, uh, maybe we'll come back to some of those. I, I picked them up later, but what I wanted to talk about right now was something interesting that happened after the lives of these people and after the lives of Jesus. A man named Justin, who was known as Justin the Martyr. Now, people get that name Martyr because they were martyred, they were killed for something. Yeah, I hope I'm never known as Mike, yeah, the, Mike the Martyr. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're known as Mike the Magnificent Chef and Friend well, and all yeah. this, right? Yeah, Mm-mm. pastor of the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, so Justin was martyred. He lived in the uh, first century AD, you know, the 100 years or so after Jesus in that, in that time period. He was martyred for basically accusing the Jews of removing scripture that referred to Jesus. And these are historical documents. Of course, they're not in the Bible. But um, he, he said, for instance, just to read a couple of them, um, he, he said um, statements which Esdras, Esdras was a book that was kind of an apocrypha book. Uh, he said, Esdras said this, he said, They have taken away this passage. Ezra said to the people, this Passover is our Savior and our refuge. So in this little tiny book of Ezra, which we don't even have, but there were other words which were pulled out saying that this Passover lamb, this thing that we're doing, you know, in the Old Testament times. And again, these scriptures I'm referring to are Old Testament scriptures. I, I guess I should make that distinction. He was saying in the Old Testament, there were many writings pointing towards Jesus, and you've taken them out. And he said, Ezra even said the Passover stands for our Savior and our refuge. And um, and if you have understood and your heart has taken it in, that we shall humble him on a standard and therefore hope in him, then this place shall not be forsaken forever. So he says a little bit more about this, but the point is that um, he's saying that Old Testament prophets wrote about Jesus and the fact that he was going to be the Savior. And the Jews removed him. Uh, Here's another one. He said, from Jeremiah, you remove this. Now, Justin's speaking in about the year 150, 160 AD, somewhere in there. And he says, the book of Jeremiah included this verse, which you don't have anymore. I was like a lamb that is brought to the slaughter. They devised a device against me, saying, Come, let us lay wood on his bread, and let us blot him out from the land of the living, and his name shall be no more remembered. So here's here's this direct reference to him being like a lamb being brought to the slaughter. You know, this is a reference, obvious, to Jesus and his sacrifice, being the sacrificial lamb. Jeremiah spoke it. Jeremiah apparently wrote it, but the Jews apparently removed it. And then he goes on and says, um, said this passage from the sayings of Jeremiah is still written in some of the copies of Scripture in the synagogues of the Jews. Because he said, for it's only been a short time since they were cut out. Now, isn't that interesting? He says some of these copies still have them. And, you know, does it make you wonder, Mike, are some of these mm-hmm. things ever going to float up someday, right? Right, right. Yeah. Some of these copies are still in the synagogues of the Jews. You know, the world's full of novels that that talk about, you know, oh, 
hidden things and people discovering things of ancient writings. And, you know, it, it's just made for a lot of interesting uh, novels and whatnot over the years. But I'm convinced that probably in the possession of a very large church seated in Rome, uh, in the in the archives that are only uh, seen by a few people in this world, uh, very few permitted, there are probably records that we would be fascinated mm -hmm. to see that, that some of these things did not just miraculously dis disappear from the face of the earth, you know? Right. That would, <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be an interesting, um, well, I could get caught up thinking about that too. It, it is, I don't know what the mystery is. It, it entices us, but, uh, it seems like the truth is always, well, they say stranger than fiction, but I th I think that's true. That the the real truth that'll become force someday will just make us go wow. Yeah, and so related to that, and not to get off topic here, um, the, I love the scriptures. We all are familiar with if we've read the Book of Mormon, where uh, Alma's saying, "Hey, um, pray to God, pray to Him when you're in the crops, your field, over you know everything that they'll prosper and in your wilderness." And He's encouraging this. But what I just found recently is that comes His words of counsel to us originate with words that were written by Zenos. And the the reason I bring this up, now we know Zenos from this parable of the olive tree. And and Zenos, mm. his records come with the Book of Mormon, apparently, to have that whole parable. And it's not um, something that is in the Bible. But what's interesting is that Paul refers to the same kind of understanding of he says to you Gentiles, hey, you were like a wild branch grafted in, right? So it's like they had this common, common understanding right. of it, but the record isn't there. Well, what's interesting is when, when Alma's talking and encouraging us to pray and everything, he first reads from the earlier chapter in Alma 16 around verse 180-ish in there. He reads this beautiful prayer of Zenos, and he says, and I'm going to share, and he, he says this from the prophet of old. Now, why that's interesting is because, hey, all these guys are old compared to us. <laughs> 2,600 years ago is when Nephi wrote. But he already had Isaiah's words, and he didn't call Isaiah the prophet of old. So he, he refers to this guy, Zenos, who apparently lived way before Isaiah, and maybe, you know, Abraham's time. We don't know. But um, but the point is, when you read this um, poem, poem and it's talking about how God is so merciful I realize that it's probably the world's oldest example of Hebrew poetry it's a beautiful um, thing that I'm trying to understand and I, and I I don't understand enough about the the language and the and the people uh, and the analysis of what separates old Hebrew poetry from very old Hebrew poetry but they had different forms and I'm realizing this prayer of Zenos that's written in the Book of Mormon it's only about six or seven verses is probably the oldest example of, of poetic structure that exists in the world. It's much older than stuff we apparently have in the Bible. And so th this is the, the point is that this guy lived before Moses probably, you know, in, in some time period there. And, and so what I'm thinking is that these scriptures were probably in other records that were hidden and taken away as well. But it was not by chance that Nephi was commanded to go get these plates and hold on to them because I fully believe someday these things are going to turn back around and we're going to find them. There's a little verse, a little separate thing, uh, where there's a place where the Book of Mormon quotes Isaiah, and it includes the words, the ships of Tarshish. Well, it says it in the 
Book of Mormon, but it didn't include it in the Bible, the, the King James Bible. And so did Joseph Smith just make it up? Well, in recent years, when the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, uh, they they found this Masoretic text, which was written, you know, hundreds of years later. It was rewriting the Bible, where it has the verse of Isaiah as the Book of Mormon records it, and it includes this word ship of Tarshish, which didn't exist in the King James. Now, how had Joseph Smith known to make it up? It wasn't something discovered until the 1940s. Here's an ancient text that actually includes this very verse. It wasn't part of the Bible. It was in the Book of Mormon, and now it's in a recently discovered copy of Isaiah. What does that say? Well, obviously, it would suggest that Nephi was quoting from an older version of Isaiah that, or a different one than, than the King James came from. But these, the reason I bring this up about Alma and, and Zenos and quoting an older record, and now Nephi has evidence that he was using a different work of Isaiah, all these things suggest that there are much older writings and that the Bible wasn't necessarily compiled from the original manuscript sometimes or even the best copies. You know, everything was handwritten if it was a copy, and the, no one has ever seen an original copy of Isaiah's writings. Everything they, they acknowledge, the translations that we have in English, all came from copies of copies of copies eventually. It wasn't like we had... Isaiah's penned notes, right? We didn't have that. We had scribes through the ages who rewrote it as they could. And so um, I, I just believe that God's plan through the Book of Mormon is revealed like this. He said, I'm going to bring all my words back together. I'm going to bring my, all my testimonies from all these nations back together. And this is a powerful promise of the Book of Mormon that hey, I didn't just speak to the Jews. And he said, I didn't just even speak to Joseph. I was going to speak to all nations. And and this is going to be a testimony to the world, the Book of Mormon teaches, that I am God and I, I do these things. And, and so right now what we live in is an age where people mock, people um, basically take this notion that, hey, there's only one word of God and it's only the Bible. Um, and that's simply... Uh, an underestimation of the God we worship that yeah. that He limited us this like this. So why? <clears throat> so I say I think why is this message important? This message of God speaking to all people in all places and how it comes out plainly in the Book of Mormon. At one time, Jesus tells the people in this land. He says he explains what he said in the Bible across the sea when he says, "You are the people." that I referred to when I told them other sheep I have that are not of this fold that I must go to. Yep, yep. So that's a clear message in the Book of Mormon that, that gets us to ponder then, what does this tell us about God? And then, and then does it not say, and yet there's other sheep I must go to when I leave you? Exactly. So this is a very strong philosophical point about the character of God that's not maybe made as clear in the Bible that is very uh, evident in the Book of Mormon, this message that that God is, uh, it, it hammers home the point that God is equal, that he is loving, that he is a keeper of the covenants, that, um, you know, when he tells Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they're all blessed and their fruit will be blessed, that he carries that out and fulfills that. And I think it also should speak to our heart as people, as Christians, as, uh, as children of our father, that, that, um, we have to, 
trust him that um, that he loves us right now as much as he loved the great people he had interactions with back then and that we should open up our hearts to realize that God is not a book that we carry in our hands, uh, you know, yes. that we don't, we don't put him into this book, but that he is a living God, that he's alive and interactive and his work continues and that it wasn't just a, a, you know, he didn't just carve out a period of time along the timeline that said, this is where I'm going to be very active. And then the rest of you can rely on this book, you know, going forth. It's, it's really a shift in your thinking. If you look at the way we picture truth and the word of God compared to uh, other segments of Christianity that really, really hold up a book and say, this is it, you know, we have to understand him from what's contained in this book. Right. And we, we ideally, we would say we have to understand him as a spirit of truth, as uh, ongoing interaction and revelation which leads to some problems when you when you believe that God continues to speak. You know that opens up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now, now, unfortunately, yeah. everyone becomes a prophet. Right, right. right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that um, it changes the nature of God. But it's a it's a philosophical shift that I believe is a very clear message in the Book of Mormon that there's just not one little finite group of writings but that more will be coming forth. And you have to be open to that to then examine, you know, what is truth in the future, what comes forth. You know, the Book of Mormon clearly answers that question. Um, in the second book of Nephi, chapter 12, verse 65 in the RLDS, or it's chapter 29, verse 11 in the LDS, um, the, Nephi writes this. He says, for the people who would complain that, they had a Bible. He said, you, you don't need to suppose it contains all my words. Neither uh, should you suppose that I haven't caused more to be written. And he says, for this reason, for I command all men in the east, west, north, south, islands of the sea, that they shall write the words which I speak unto them. And here's the punchline. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man according to their works, according to that which is written. And, and and it basically, it answers the question in this way. He said, why would God speak to more than one nation? Because he wanted everyone to know of his salvation, because he's a God of mercy. Because why would he want, why would he not want someone to know about him? And so it's like, no, I'm going to give people their tes testimonies in their own language, in their own culture, in their own misunderstandings and understandings. Now, what we get today, I think, is the fact that we live in a fallen world. Uh, when we hold up the Bible as the er inerrant word of God, what we're really wanting to say is we're holding up God who we believe is inerrant. But we have to remember that Bibles are collections of words that have been written by imperfect men trying to do the right thing. And so in that, can it contain imperfection? Of course, to the extent that men can and are imperfect, can be and are imperfect. But the point is that God's work is not imperfect. And the Book of Mormon reiterates that exactly right here in this passage from the second book of Nephi. He said, the reason I would think it's a good idea to speak to all men is because they're all going to stand before me and be judged someday. And I would like to for them to know the rules, right? So, right. you know, and I would like to them to know that, hey, I came down and took on flesh because there was no other way for your sin to be removed or otherwise you would remain unclean forever. It's like, why would that not be a good idea? You, 
I wonder when um, when men say, you know, I wonder if it scares men or makes them feel uneasy uh, when you have that, because I see them get pretty, pretty uh, invigorated. They argue pretty vigorously against uh, any other word other than the Bible, and I wonder what's at the root of that. Because let's let's just say that the Bible was the inerrant word of God that came down and the only word of God and the only record that we had that God spoke to men. Well, then you have to, if somehow that makes you feel secure or um, more manageable or more safe about your salvation. But yeah. But then you have to go and say that, well, then man can perfectly understand that word. Like now you have to trust that you have the intellect to understand what God was saying and intending way back then to those group of people in that culture. And, and you have to be able to interpret it correctly in, in that culture. So where's the safety or the, the feeling of security or manageability in that? Right. Uh, Because now you all have to agree and look at how many disagreements there are uh, over different Christian factions about just the Bible. Right. But when you bring in other writings, like the Book of Mormon and and those that will come forth later, those that we may find recorded way earlier that will come forth, um, I believe that helps clarify, you know, what God— well, obviously, I think the Book of Mormon easily clarifies a lot of things that, that aren't in the Bible. Yeah, it does. And so, you know, a couple things come to mind. First, Nephi writes, he said, hey, unless you understood the ways of the Jews and the language of the Jews and even maybe lived among them like I did, he said, you aren't going to always understand their prophecies. He said, they're, they're clear to people who have the spirit of prophecy. So he said, so let me start explaining what some of this means. And I'm going to start with Isaiah. You know, he, he does this favor for us. Well, you know, we take this record of the Jews and we claim it as our own, but yet we're reading other people's mail. We we, we tend to read it with this mm-hmm. idea that we have full understanding and authority to, you know, uh, of this word. And it's like, eh, maybe not always. But, but again, this has been part of God's plan. Now, we as humans always kind of want ground rules, whether we put it in that term or not. We, we want to we know, okay, here's the boundary. And if it's it's easy to say, okay, well, the Bible's the only word of God. Well, whew, that takes a lot of burden off of our back because now we don't have to look at anything else out in the world and say, could God have influenced this, mm-hmm. right? But, but, but bringing it back to the Book of Mormon, I think one of the obvious reasons why there's so much you know, vehement uh, anger among so many people who are good Christians about the Book of Mormon is because they never heard its words. They, they never heard the beautiful message of mercy and truth from it. They only saw actions of people done in its name. They, they saw polygamy and they heard mm-hmm. weird things and temple rituals and dead people being baptized for. It's like, that's their understanding of what the Book of Mormon is. And it's like, no. Well, yeah. And, and also, for some reason, an angel appearing in the 1800s is much more fantastical than, you know, a man in the belly of a whale in, you know, yeah, right, thousands right, of years or, ago. Or, or the sea opening up. It's like no one questions things like that. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, sure, they walk through on dry ground. Of course, the Bible says it's, yeah. But an angel appearing to someone, no way. Right? Now, yeah, if I had a 14-year-old come up to me today and say, hey, I saw an angel yesterday and he took me and showed me some things, I would probably be very skeptical. (laughs) Well, the one reason not to be skeptical in the Bible, I believe, is because actually the Bible foretells it. And you mentioned this already. Um, 
that you know the the fact that uh, this whole uh, the words written by or spoken rather by Jesus that hey I have other sheep uh, and they'll hear my voice that's clearly in the Bible and and so the question is never answered in the Bible uh, who are those other sheep you know but it's it's one of these things that we kind of you know kind of rally around and say well of course this was us but um, Jesus then confirms, hey, you are the other sheep. Uh, but then where we have to be cautious, as you mentioned, he said, yet I have other sheep. And so are we just as willing to say, you know, just like you mentioned the 14-year-old boy coming up now and saying, hey, an angel came to me. Well, we have good reason in the Book of Mormon to say other 14-year-old boys or girls or whatever right. throughout the world at some point also had some kind of revelation that we haven't even heard of yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um you know, one of the things I love about the Restoration, and one of the things that I, I don't know what to do with in the Restoration is this, and I'm speaking totally personally, but then again, we're just having casual conversations as always, right? Is that it, it does open the door when people say, well, you know, we not only have this book and we have continuing revelation, but there are a lot of people who, because of that, seem to have felt that everything they said and did was then in the name of God. Well, you know, even the Bible, it comes back and it says to us, hey, you need to judge the prophets. There was a, a strong uh, wording to the fact that in the Old Testament that if the prophet had spoken something that was, not, and I can find it here in a minute, but it, it basically uh, if he spoke something that was with God and his words, then you know he was a, a good prophet. But if he said something and it didn't come to pass, well, then he should be rejected. And so... Um, well, you're finding that, Corey. Why don't I read another quote yeah. that Justin the Martyr um, pointed out that had been cut out of the Bible. Now, the Book of Mormon says many plain and precious truths have been removed. Well, listen, listen to this. So here's part of Jeremiah that's been cut out. The Lord God remembered his dead people of Israel who lay in the graves, and he descended to preach to them his own salvation. Wow. So that that that's a pretty plain, exactly pretty pretty insightful. The the um, the accusations that Jesus said he was, you know, the Son of God, and and that he came down. Well, Jeremiah prophesied the Lord God would descend to preach to him his own salvation. And Jesus came to the Jews and said, you know, I am he, I am your, your savior. And, um, and now it's, it's been cut out. So that's, that's a, that's pretty clear. It's very clear. It's very clear because, you know, that that's echoed in the new Testament, but it's uh, the fact that it was in the, the old Testament uh, is very telling the fact that this was the same message from the beginning. But um, so, yeah, I just, I won't take time and get into that old Testament scripture about the old, uh, the prophets, but, but, you know, basically Jesus had, or, or, you know, God had been telling Israel, he said, Hey, there are prophets who have a lying spirit. There are prophets who I haven't sent. There are, there are ways that you know to judge. And so this is something that we have to be cautious of. And this is why I said, you know, there's, there's things of the restoration that concern me because, we have to be careful that not everything someone speaks and says, hey, God told me, is necessarily 
True. And, and that's been not only a warning for us in this day, but a warning for God's people in all days that, um, that we have to understand that it is our job to challenge and compare. And so when it comes to even latter-day doctrinal issues, we have to come back and say, okay, the Book of Mormon came first. What did it teach? Does revelation and things uh, that came from anyone, anywhere at any time later, does it match this word that that was given to us first? And and then we have to compare the actions and words of prophets with the words of the previous um, prophets. So... Anyhow, I um, I think this one. It's interesting that you know this idea that God can speak exists, but but also you know you mentioned that Joseph, or well, you mentioned the fact that uh, God would speak to other people, and why should we be able to believe it? Well, here's this uh, scripture from uh, Ezekiel where we have Judah writing. And we have this thing called a stick. Now, a stick was simply the name for a scroll. You know, we, again, without understanding the culture um, of the day, when they talked about this from Ezekiel 37, and it's in anybody's Bible, it's not just an inspired thing. Um, Ezekiel 37, 16 says, you know, God's commanding, the prophet says, take a stick, write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, and take another stick and write on it for Joseph, and it would be the stick of Ephraim for all the house of Israel and his companions. And now what's interesting was this Old Testament uh, idea of, of, of how and what these scrolls symbolized. In a, in a law, in a legal situation, a court of law in Israel, uh, contracts were written on a scroll and if two parties had a, a contract, you would write it on each half. Well, you'd say, okay, you know, I, Corey Stark, promise to, you know, uh, buy from Mike Barrett a bicycle or whatever, and we're going to pay X number of dollars. And that would be written on both sides. And we're going to do it in two weeks. And we'll in two weeks come by, and, and you know, I said, hey, Mike, here's the $100. And you said, no, it was supposed to be $200, whatever. This whole thing, it, it had to be brought before a judge if there was a dispute. And what what happened is that one party got one half of the contract and the other party got the other half of the contract and it said the same thing on both sides and they were torn down the middle. Well, so when we come back before the judge, we've got this two pieces of the contract, which, you know, if I scribbled mine out and said, hey, I'm only paying Mike Barrett $100. Well, Mike's got the side of the contract says, well, Corey said he was supposed to pay me $200. You can tell if there was a change made because the two pieces of the contract, if they were torn apart, could only made up together one way perfectly. And so you could see that what was the original. And so my mm. my point is this. It was a beautiful, simple way that the two became one, as, I, as Ezekiel refers to, talks about these two harmonious messages of God coming back and being one in his hand. And he said, I'm going to do this with Judah. I'm going to do this with Joseph. They're going to be separated, and they're going to come back together. So Ezekiel makes short reference to that. But I, but Nephi expounds on this, and he says, hey, I speak to these nations. He said, when the two nations, he said, well, I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. And this is from, continuing back from 2 Nephi chapter 12, at verse 60. I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another. That's this contract that's been separated. That's going to come back. When the two nations shall run together, the testimony of the two nations shall run together also. 
And he says, I do this that I might prove to many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to my own pleasure. And because I've spoken one word, you don't need to suppose that I can't speak another. For my work is not finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. And so this this is a beautiful illustration that only someone from Israel could have understood where he says, hey, they are going to run together. And I, I'm, I, I, I think this proves the point that as Christians, we should not um, deny that God would speak to more nations, but we should eagerly look forward to those testimonies of other nations that would support. And maybe they've been deluded by man. Maybe they've even been corrupted by man. But that these testimonies would come forth and eventually corroborate and point to this God of Israel who who wants salvation for all of us. Yeah, I've never heard that explained like that. That's that's very cool. Uh, also shows that the Bible, you know, is bearing witness of the record of Joseph. And when we talk about other records coming forth. We also believe that the Book of Mormon's message is that certainly God, you know, he records these records, but he has given us, mankind, Jew and Gentile, through the Book of Mormon, what we need for salvation and what needs to be the standard of his truth. So it seems like the Bible is pointing to two major records, the records of the Jews or the Bible, and then the records of Joseph or the Book of Mormon. And um, do you see anything in the scriptures that points to another massive body of work that's going to come forth that's going to give us new insights into salvation? Or maybe there was something that was kept away from us or hidden from us that, because I want to be clear, even though other records are going to come forth, we've also been told that we have the fullness of the gospel. Sure, so it's not sure. going to be a, a, a different doctrine, a different doctrine, just like the book of Mormon is not a different doctrine. But at the same time, we also have, I believe the doctrine that men need, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, not trained in the ways of the Jew, not trained in that culture, that you can understand God as he is uh, through the Book of Mormon. Well, here's, again, the Book of Mormon answers that question beautifully in the, in the next verses. This is from the second book of Nephi, chapter 12, starting with verse 66. Now, verse 65, we read where it states, I command all men in, in the east, the west, the north, south, the islands, to write these words which I speak. And then he says, 66, for out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man according to their works, according to that which is written. So so again, the, the reason why these words would be written by other people and kept and preserved somewhere would not be that, hey, someone else has a piece of the doctrine and someone else has a different piece. No, he's given this doctrine supposedly equally all the way around. That's that's what was stated with the message of the disciples in Jesus' day. He said it came in purity. That's what Nephi sees in his, in his vision. It came with purity in the day that the disciples spoke it in, in Israel. He said, but the words became corrupted by man later, so I brought it back in purity to the Gentiles so they wouldn't stumble. That's what the Book of Mormon is. But here's what he says then in verse 67 about other people. I'll speak to the Jews, and they will write it. I will speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it. And here's here's your, uh, your point. I shall also speak 
unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And so again, is it because he was giving them all different pieces of doctrine? No, it's so that we all have the same message and we know how to live in him. So we know how to look forward to salvation in him. And he says, and I'll speak to unto all the nations of the earth. So he went from the Jews to the Nephites, then to 10 other tribes or people who were led away from the house of Israel. But it expands in verse 70, I will speak to all the nations of the earth, and they shall write it. Now, that's something we're not prepared for. And I think even in the restoration in that, we kind of think, okay, well, we got the rest of the gospel. We have the fullness, and here it is. But it's like God saying, no, I I spoke to other nations. Now, these records and things, they seem to be lost to our knowledge. Um, and if we do have some, maybe they've been you know corrupted. I, I don't know. But this this idea that... God writes to other nations is not because they would have different pieces of doctrine, but that all those pieces of writings would harmoniously reflect who he is, his goodness, his nature, his mercy, his love, his salvation. And, and then he, he, he concludes this, verse 71, it shall come to pass now that not only would the nations write it, but that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews, and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel. So mm-hmm. we, we're holding this Bible and this Book of Mormon and saying, okay, we're starting to see this come together. The Nephites and the Jews have the words, yeah, maybe they have the people of those nations haven't all blended to, that word together as one yet, but we're, we've been sort of trying. But there's more because it says, when these Nephites and Jews have the words of the lost tribes, the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. So all of a sudden now, these 12 tribes, if, if you limit it to that number, say they're all going to exchange these words. There's powerful, powerful things to come, Mike. I believe that that we, in our circles within the restoration, we, we don't even talk about these things in, in, in largely. And I'm like, this is this is the beauty of, of what God's plan is. There's so much rich pro- prophetic future that is contained here that things for us to look forward to. And and I think, and I'm not trying to preach this, but that I think we limit ourselves when we just think, okay, well, you know, we, we all have to be here and bad times are coming and we're going to build Zion and that's the end. It's like God has this plan apparently to bring forth his word from all these other nations and that somehow it's going to change the world. You know, it's going to change the the lives of the people who have these words and it's going to be a different day soon. It's, it's so much beyond like worrying about who's going to win the, the office here in a couple of weeks, you know, or in the, uh, for the election and all these things. There's these, these things are just so small compared to what God says. No, someday. And, and uh, the verse 73 says it best, it shall come to pass that my people, which are of the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possessions, and my word also shall be gathered in one. Isn't that something that all these words he spoke to different people are going to come together? And that's yet in the future. You know, it's so far beyond the the things of the politics and the in the of our day and our nation or the issues within our congregations. Mm. Well, um, did you have anything else on Justin the Martyr or specifically? Well, you know, there are literally volumes available of his writings. You can find them online, and you might have to sort through it. Uh, Some of it comes from, and I'm not saying this is bad, there's um, 
there's uh, a lot of Catholics who refer to Justin the Martyr for certain reasons, but sometimes those writings are sort of filtered out. Um, you can find, uh, uh, and so I'm just saying, you, you can start there. You'll find a lot of uh, Catholicism associated writings with Justin. But if you find um, a larger document, which is this record with Typhos, it's like T-Y-P-H-O-S is how we spell it. Um, that seems to contain more of the raw, unedited footage of his documents. And you, you got to kind of go through it, but there's quite a lot there. Um, there's, there's more than what we referred to, and I'm not even seeing what we referred to today in the podcast are even the best or the richest. They're just a couple of examples. But he cites many, many places where he feels like the scriptures were talking about Jesus and they were removed. And so um, why not have this Book of Mormon that remained unscathed from that uh, onslaught by men and came to us as God's gift and a, a gift of mercy to tell us clearly about who he is? You know, he is doing exactly what the Book of Mormon says in, in 2 Nephi 12, verse 74. He says, I'm going to show those who fight against my word, my people, that I made a covenant with Abraham, and I would remember his seed forever. And so he's he's fulfilling that, and, and we are part of that plan that he is glorified when this word goes back to Israel and, and it returns them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the message of the Book of Mormon, um, that God has made many records to many people. He's caused his plan of salvation to be known to different uh, people, all the way to the lost tribes, to every nation on the earth, and that these things will come forth. But also that we are told that the Book of Mormon message is that this is the standard, this is the fullness of the gospel, and that we have uh, what we know, what we need to know about our Creator to allow us to have faith in Him and allow that faith to bring us salvation um, as we submit to Him completely, as we're able to see Him for who He is, and, um, and as He explains Himself to the people in those writings. So that's, I guess that's the main gist of today's Deal, right? Yeah, exactly. Appreciate it. You got anything else to add? Oh, there's always more to add, but that's what other podcasts are for, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, take us out, brother. Hey, it's been good being with you, friends, and we hope you'll take time and open the word and praise this Savior who brought us together and brought his word to us and just keep walking each other home.